Hello, I'm Father Fred Caldwell, a Catholic priest in McKinney, Texas. And my name is George. I've been studying the Bible and religion all my life. Together, we'll be taking a new and often unexpected look at all things spiritual. And our podcast is named Soul Survivors. Good morning, George. How are you doing this morning? You know, it's gotten colder. Tomorrow, the high is supposed to be 23. Uh, do you like this cold weather? I do not like cold weather. I like it when it's between 40 and 60 degrees. The fall is my favorite season. But when it gets colder than 40 degrees, when it gets down to the 30s, I do not like it at all. Well, good. I, it's a, I've got a coat that's got a little heater, just like a heating pad, and I'm just like toast whenever it's cold outside. Well, I'm jealous of that. What will we be studying today? Well, today we're going to continue with Joseph down in Egypt, and we're going to find out how the writer skips from one place to another, or how the redactor chooses to go from one topic to another. If we go back to chapter 37, and we read the very last verse, chapter verse 36, we read, Meanwhile, the Midianite traders arrived in Egypt, where they sold Joseph to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Now, that's the last thing in chapter 37. Chapter 39, in verse 1, we read, When Joseph was taken down to Egypt, an Egyptian, Potiphar, an official of Pharaoh, and his chief steward, bought him from the Mishmaelites who had brought him there. Now, that's the way it goes from 37 to 39. Well, what happened to 38? 38 is an entirely different topic that doesn't fit any place. It's about Judah. It's about his family and his brothers and the woman that he marries and, and his children. That has nothing to do with 37 or 39. But the redactor had to put that in there. He didn't want to leave out some of the writings. So he put that in, and it comes right between 37 and 39. Sounds like he could have found a better place for that. Like maybe before the story of Joseph, or maybe he was trying to do it chronologically, who knows? Yeah, if you don't do it chronologically, uh, that's going to upset the people, too, that, that have this writing. So he gets it in there, but it's it's awkward, because it this is not something that you can read chronologically without considering that there's more than one writer. So let's look at 39. In chapter 39, this is the first verse again. When Joseph was taken down to Egypt, an Egyptian, Potiphar, an official of Pharaoh and his chief steward, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him there. And this is going to be from the J source, and this very first next line tells you why and how. Verse 2 says, The Lord was with Joseph, the Lord. When you see the Lord, it's, you're going to realize that it's going to be from the south. Verse 2 says, the Lord was with Joseph, and he enjoyed the great success and was assigned to the household of his Egyptian master. Now, this is a little clue about what's going to be whenever it's the J source. Verse 2 says, The Lord was with Joseph. Verse 3 says, The Lord was with him. Verse 21 says, The Lord was walking with Joseph. Verse 23 says, the Lord was with him. This is to show us, I think, that Joseph and everything he's going to be doing, the Lord is going to be guiding him. It's got it four different times, and all through the Old Testament, many places, it has the same thing. 
The Lord is with Joseph. What do you think that means exactly, George? I think that it means even though bad things were happening to Joseph, the Lord was with him. And we'll get into it into a little bit, but I have some thoughts I'd like to share whenever we get to that point about how the Lord was with Joseph, even though it appeared he wasn't. Let's look at verse 3 now. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and brought him success in whatever he did, he favored Joseph. Poor Joseph, he's going to have some problems, but the Lord is with him even in his problems, just like he's with you and he's with me. Whenever things seem like they're going downhill and there's something that we can't work out, maybe it's the Lord we need to turn to 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 get things right in our lives. Verse 4 says, He favored Joseph and made him his personal attendant. He put him in charge of his household and entrusted him to all his possessions. That's how much Potiphar trusted Joseph. Verse 5 says, From the moment he put him in charge of his household and all his possessions, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. Now, how will it be blessing Joseph's sake by putting him in the charge of everything in Potiphar's house? Well, I think it's saying that because the Lord was with Joseph and the Lord wanted to bless Joseph, he blessed Potiphar because that would also help Joseph. And still in verse 5, the Lord's blessing was on everything he owned, both inside the house and out. Verse 6 says, having everything he owned in Joseph's charge, he gave no thought with Joseph there to anything but the food he ate. He really trusted him, didn't he? Sounds like it. it only the food the only thing he had to worry about. Joseph was going to take care of everything else. I think I'd like that. <laughs> now here comes problems for Joseph. Still the very end of verse 6 says, Now Joseph was well built and handsome. That might be a problem for him. Was that a problem for you growing up? No. Uh, <laughs> My mama's the only one that told me that I was a good-looking boy. Verse 7 says, After a time, his master's wife, watch out, looked at him with longing and said, Lie with me. Now that's going to be said over and over. Lie with me. We can find certain phrases that they use. That's, each writer will have some characteristic that he fits him. Verse 8 says, But he refused and said to his master's wife, Look, as long as I'm here, my master does not give a thought to anything. That's the second time we've heard that. That's something that's a clue into this writer. He does not give a thought to anything in the house, but has entrusted to me all that he owns. There is an exception. Let's go to verse 9. He has no more authority in his house than I do. He has withheld from me nothing but you since you are his wife. How then could I do this great wrong and sin against God? So if I sin against him, I'm also sinning against God. Although he, she spoke to him day after day, he would not, and here's that phrase, lie with her or even be near her. Verse 11 says, on such day, I guess that means on just one day, on such a day as this. Verse 11, on one such day, when Joseph came into the house to do his work, and none of the household servants were then in the house, she laid hold of him by his cloak, saying, Again, lie with me. But leaving the cloak in her hand, he escaped and he ran outside. 
Verse 13 says, When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand as he escaped outside, she cried out to the household servants and told them, Look, my husband has brought us a Hebrew man to mock us. He came in here to lie with me. But I cried out loudly. When he heard me scream, he left his cloak beside me and escaped and ran outside. And she kept the cloak with her until her master come home. What do you think about that, George? I think Joseph was a man of extraordinary character. So he has every reason to turn his back on God. He was sold into slavery. He was sold to an Egyptian. He remained strong and didn't give in to Potiphar's wife's temptations. And yet she falsely accuses him. And in a minute, we're going to see what the result of that is. Now, one of the things that I wanted to mention is the Hebrew word for mock there is to shock. And that word is the same word that's used whenever the Bible says that Ishmael and Isaac were playing together. It could better be translated as Ishmael was mocking Isaac. And some of the Jewish commentaries I read were saying that Ishmael was mocking Isaac, saying that he was not Abraham's son, that he was actually the son of Abimelech, the Philistine king. And right before the story of Ishmael and Isaac is the story of Sarah of being married to the Philistine king Abimelech. But then God tells him, you're a dead man because you took somebody else's wife. Abimelech says, I never touched her. Take all this gold and cattle and, and leave. And evidently, Hagar was spreading the rumor that Isaac was Abimelech's son and not Abraham's. And Ishmael picked up on that and was mocking Isaac. And that's why Sarah got so mad and banished them. And also, I think this is a lesson for us that whenever we're going through some dark times and we don't know why, that that's perhaps a time to stay faithful to the Lord. There's a story in Esther where Esther is elevated to queen. She's a Jew. And there's an internal plan by Haman, one of the king's advisors, to wipe out the Jews. Her uncle, Mordecai, tells her, approach the king and work out a plan to save the Jews. And Esther says, I can't do that because if I go see the king without being summoned, he can put me to death. And Mordecai says, if you don't do this, salvation will come from another source, but you and your household will perish. So God is using this, as we're going to see, for a purpose. And Joseph is part of that purpose because he remains faithful to God. Now, Joseph could have said, nope, I'm done with God. I've been nothing but mistreated. I've done my best to obey him, but I just keep getting stepped on. Bad things just keep on happening. But because he stays faithful to God, God is going to use Joseph and elevate him in ways that he cannot even imagine. That's interesting, George. That, that certainly adds in some of the, the details that make this become alive. Yeah, and I just want to emphasize the Hebrew word is the same, so we know that for sure. But the story about Isaac being mocked by Ishmael and Ishmael saying that Isaac was Abimelech's son, that's all Jewish commentary. That's not in the Bible. Let's go back for just a moment now to verse 16. That's where we left off for just a moment ago. Verse 16, now, he's run out, and it's, she has his cloak. Verse 16 says, She kept the cloak with her until her master came home. Now, here's the big daddy. Then she told him the same story. 
The Hebrew slave whom you brought us came to me to amuse himself at my expense. That's an awkward word, to amuse himself. wonder how she chose that. Well, I think the translator chose that. Okay. I think, you know, she was saying what she said before was that he came here to mock us. Yeah, she's really putting a bad trip on our boy. Verse 18 says, But when I screamed, he left his cloak beside me and escaped outside. Verse 19 says, When your master heard his wife's story, in which she reported, Thus and so your servant did to me, he became enraged. Joseph's master seized him, put him in the jail, where the king's prisoners were confined, and there he sat in jail. He can't win. Verse 21, and here's what is this phrase that we hear over and over. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him kindness by making the chief jailer well disposed toward him. Verse 22, the chief jailer put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners in the jail. Everything that had to be done there, he was the one to do it. Wherever he goes, he gets in charge of things. Verse 23, and this is the last one. The chief jailer did not have to look after anything that was in Joseph's charge. The Lord was with him and was bringing success to whatever he was doing. Father Fred, I have a question for you. Do you believe that Potiphar believed his wife when she said that Joseph attacked her? You know, if you had enough confidence in somebody that you would put them in charge of everything, you would think, did he really do this? Now, you know, I don't know whether he had believed this or not, but one thing, after this, you don't hear anything about his wife. So Potiphar was the captain of the king's guard. He was a very high-ranking official, and Joseph was a slave. Potiphar could have had Joseph executed. Mm -hmm. So that makes me think that Potiphar did not buy his wife's story completely. It sounds that way. And he had him put in the royal prison, the prison that Potiphar was over, because he was captain of the guard. That's makes that's interesting. He might have had his doubts. Might have had his doubts. So he could have put him in a regular jail. He could have had him executed, but he put him in the king's jail. And it seems to me that that means Potiphar didn't buy his wife's story and that he wanted to keep an eye on Joseph. George, we just finished chapter 39. And 40 is coming next. Before we go to chapter 40, is there anything that you would like to share with us about 39? Yes. In Genesis thirty-five nineteen, it says, So Rachel died, and she was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is, Bethlehem. So when Joseph was sold into slavery, he was in Dothan, and then he was taken to Egypt. If you look at a map and you look at a trail from Dothan to Egypt, they go right by Bethlehem. And so I'm wondering is whenever they were passing Bethlehem, if Joseph could see his mother's grave, and if he could, how he remembered his loving home, his mother, how his mother died, and what a happy life he had. And now all of that is gone. He is now sold as a slave on his way to Egypt, and he's saying goodbye to his mother, and he's probably wondering if he's ever going to see home again. Okay. Now, back at the chapter 39, the last thing we have was Joseph was crookedly condemned and put into prison. 
And now we're going to find out there's going to be some others to come into prison with him. And in chapter 40, we're going to have some clues about this is going to be the writer E from the north. Some of the clues are this. There are going to be a lot of dreams that take place in this. And you will not hear that phrase anymore. The Lord was with him. We heard it over and over and over in 39. But 40 has a different writer, and that's not in his vocabulary. So starting with verse 1, this is going to be an entirely different story. It's not going to be connected to what we had in 39. Let's look at verse 1. Sometime afterward, the royal cupbearer and baker offended their lord, the king of Egypt. Verse 2 says, Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And he put them in custody in the house of the chief steward, the same jail where Joseph was confined. The chief steward assigned Joseph to them, and he became their attendant. After they had been in custody for some time, verse 5 says, The cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the jail, both had dreams. They both had dreams on the same night, each his own dream, and each dream with its own meaning. In verse 6, when Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they looked disturbed. Verse 7, so he asked Pharaoh's officials who were with him in custody in his master's house, why do you look so troubled today? They answered him, we have had dreams, but there's no one to interpret them. Joseph said to them, do interpretations not come from God? Please tell me the dreams. The interpretations are going to come from God, but he is the one that's going to interpret it. Verse 9. Then the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream. In my dream, he said, I saw a vine in front of me, and on the vine were three branches. It had barely budded when its blossoms came out, and its clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand. So I took the grapes, pressed them out into the cup, and put it into Pharaoh's hand. Verse 12 says, Joseph said to him, This is its interpretation. The three branches are three days. Verse 13 says, Within three days, Pharaoh will single you out and restore you to your post. You will be handing Pharaoh his cup as you formerly did when you were his cupbearer. Only think of me when all is well, when everything is well with you, and please do me the great favor of mentioning me to Pharaoh to get me out of this place. Verse 15 says, The truth is that I was kidnapped from the land of the Hebrews, and I have not done anything here, that they should have put me into a dungeon. Verse 16, when the chief baker saw that Joseph had given a favorable interpretation, he said to him, I too had a dream. In it, I had three baskets on my head. In the top one were all kinds of bakery products for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. Joseph said to him in reply, this is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will single you out and impale you on a stake, and the birds will be eating your flesh. 
And so on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, when he gave a banquet to all his servants, he singled out the chief cupbearer and chief baker in the midst of his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his office so that he again handed the cup to Pharaoh. But the chief baker he impaled, just as Joseph had told him in his interpretation. Yet the chief cupbearer did not think of Joseph. He forgot him. You know, I was saying that each writer has certain phrases that he uses over and over. In this chapter that we just finished, verse 13 says, Pharaoh will single you out. If you look at verse 19, just like 13, it says, Within three days, Pharaoh will single you out. It's interesting to see how the writer uses same phrases over and over to share with things that he has. Uh, George, you were noticing something also. What was that? Yes. In chapter 40, verse 19, it says, Yet within three days shall Pharaoh lift up thy head from off of thee, and shall hang thee on a tree, and the bird shall eat thy flesh from off of thee. Now, I think that's the King James Version. But your version does not have hang him on a tree. It just says impaled. It is impaled both times. Right. So what I think is that after they chopped your head off, they either put your body or the head on a stake, kind of like a warning to others, like if you displease the king, this is what's going to happen to you. So I think it's both, that they chopped off his head and they impaled some part of him on a stake. And also what's interesting is my daughter is studying forensics. And one of the things that they study in forensics is how certain people use certain phrases. And you were mentioning how you can identify the writer by these certain phrases. And that's the same thing they do nowadays within the FBI. And there are court cases where somebody used a particular phrase. And in the early years of the FBI, when they were doing profiling, they had somebody threaten somebody or set off a bomb, I forgot what, but he kept on referring to dastardly deeds. And over and over in his letters, he would say dastardly deeds. And so the FBI, or whoever it was at the time, started looking at that phrase and started going through personnel files and found that phrase in somebody's personnel file. And so that made him a suspect. And then they started to investigate him, and it turned out that he was the person that was committing these crimes. So I think it's interesting that these types of clues can tell us who the writer is. You know, it's even in different countries. In the United States, when we're joking with somebody, we say, I'm just pulling your leg. In Spanish, we say, estoy tomando el pelo. I'm, I'm taking your hair. In English, when we say, it's a horse of another color, they say, es pato de otra laguna. It's a duck from another pond. We have certain phrases that we use, and it could be that these writers were not from the same place. And some things we think make sense, and we understand them from a Western point of view, but when you go back and you look at them in the original Hebrew, it has a totally different meaning than what we read in the Bible today. It's kind of like the word void that you mentioned in Genesis. You remember that? Yeah. Yeah, and void too. To us means something that's not there. How can you see a void? But when they say yes, there's a void, then they say it's all covered with water, like water doesn't exist. Well, the water, they were saying it didn't exist because the water was hiding things. 
the water was turbulent. And to, for, for something to exist at the time of this writer in the first chapter uh, of Genesis, we have to remember that for them to be something that didn't exist just meant it was out of order. When God brings things to order, then they come into existence, which is completely different from us. Well, it's kind of interesting because I kind of see a parallel to Joseph. Joseph's life here seems out of order, out of control, without purpose. And, and God's going to straighten it out. And God's going to straighten it out, yeah. Well, let's look here at the last thing. I'm just a comment on, a comment on this last chapter of 40. This is what happens. Joseph interprets the dreams of the Pharaoh's two officials. That's what he does. His ability to interpret the dreams shows that God is still with him and points toward his role of dreamer that's going to be happening with Pharaoh in the next chapter, 41. So don't miss it. Yes. And another thing is we talked about how Joseph was the favored son of Jacob. And some of the research I did said that Joseph was extremely wise. He was knowledgeable. He was a good administrator. And that he was a seer, meaning that he had dreams and that these dreams came true. And Jacob recognized Joseph's good character. And that's why he was the favored son, and that's why Joseph was put in charge of his brothers. Now, his brothers didn't like it, and Joseph wasn't too wise when he told them the dream that they would be bowing down to him. But Joseph was a wise, godly person, and God was with him even when it appeared he wasn't. He appears to me to be the cleanest guy that we've read in the story of Genesis. And through all of this, what made him so special was... He never lost his faith in his God. Well, that's a good place to leave off. Hang on to the end of chapter 40, and we'll see you next week at 41. God bless. Have a wonderful week.